Okay, so the text we've been using is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 16 through 18. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them, walk among them. I will be their God. They, they shall be my people. So uh, we, the church, is not this building. We are the church. God doesn't live in this building. God lives in us. Those that have been born again, we've been looking at that. In uh, weeks that we've been uh, discussing this, we've been looking basically at uh, defining the work of the Spirit. What is the work of the Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. This definition indicates that the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity whom the Scripture most often represents as being present to do God's work in the world. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was many times manifested in the glory of God and in theophanies and in the Gospels. Jesus himself was the presence of God walking among us. But after Jesus ascended into heaven and continuing through the entire church age, the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of God among his people. Even in the Old Testament, it was predicted that the presence of the Holy Spirit would bring abundant blessings from God. Isaiah 44 and 3, I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground and I will pour my spirit, so it's likening, likening water to dry ground, as pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Several prophecies in the Old Testament predicted a time when the Holy Spirit would come in greater fullness, a time when God would make a new covenant with his people. In Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So in the, in the past few weeks, we've looked at a couple of different ways the Holy Spirit works within us uh, uh, as a people. The Holy, we looked at how the Holy Spirit indwells. We looked at how the Holy Spirit purifies. We looked at how the Holy Spirit unifies. And we looked at how the Holy Spirit infills. And when talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, we were talking about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And last week, what we looked at is that uh, the Bible teaches in Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. But this week, we want to begin looking at the category, and uh, it, it's, it's, it flows out of the Holy Spirit infilling us, but it's the Holy Spirit empowers. And that's what we want to begin looking at this week. I'm going to pick up another text, and we're going to start with this text, and then we're going to uh, preach for a few minutes. We won't keep you very long um, unless the Lord decides to move, in which we want him to move. Amen? So 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. There's another translation that says, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. Now, I want you to know that every one of us, if you have a Bible, this passage is in your Bible, whether you be Protestant, Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, this passage is in your Bible. Well, how come 
if it's in our Bible, and we're going to be talking about it today, how come we don't all practice this? Because in some churches, they've taught that, and we're not saying it's right or wrong. I mean, we're not here to condemn. We're not saying that. Uh, we're not saying the theology is right or wrong. I'm just going to tell you how we believe here is that, but there's a, there's a doctrine called cessationism that said that the gifts of the Spirit no longer are practiced for today, and we as a, as a church, we as a movement, as a, pro, a, a Pentecostal movement, we believe that 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 is uh, categorically false, that God does move today. God does move through the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. And there's nowhere in the Bible that it says it's stopped, but that God's promise is for everyone. Okay? So it, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, the reason for titling this point as the Holy Spirit empowers is because the Greek word for gifts, and we call these the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is the, is the word charismata. That comes from the word charis, which is translated as grace. Grace is more than just receiving something you didn't deserve. That is grace, but grace is much more than that. Jesus had great grace upon him, and every one of us would say that Jesus deserved that. Right? So grace has to mean more than that. So what is grace? Well, we could teach a whole couple of messages on that as well. So you're just going to have to trust me. We've looked at this before, but grace is basically the empowering presence of God. So in talking about the spiritual gifts, what we then are addressing is the empowerments, because we call them the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we could easily, just as easily call them the empowerments of the Holy Spirit that are given to the church to empower us to accomplish the work which He has given us to do. Okay? So, they're gifts, but they're power gifts that God gives to His people to do the work He's commissioned us to do. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. We're not talking about salvation. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith, grace through faith, but we're not saved to be a, a, a what do you call that, a, stone, a, 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 a stick in the mud or something on a log. How does that go? A bump on a log, right? We're not saved to be a bump on a log. We're saved to do the work of the kingdom. If you want to go in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, almost everybody can quote that. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. But most people forget about 2.10, right? 2.10 is um, that, uh, now I can't remember. Uh, I'll go ahead and get there. Okay, Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're not saved by works, but we're saved to work. Am I making sense to you? 
All right? So if you're coming to church and just enjoying being a spectator, that's fine. Uh, we want you to come, be a spectator. But at some point, if you don't become more than just a spectator, then you are not fulfilling all that God wanted for you to do because God expects all of us in some way to get involved in the work. Well, anyway, he doesn't expect us to accomplish the work without his help. And so he's given us giftings, but as we're talking about here this morning, more than just giftings, he's given us empowerments to help us to do what he's called and commissioned us to do. Now, there's a couple of uh, uh, just kind of ground, we'll call them principles or ground rules we want to touch on before we get into the rest of it, but in this passage, one of the things he says is don't be uninformed of spiritual gifts. So we should be knowledgeable of what they are. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, now it's not talking about now concerning the Trinity, that's important. Concerning salvation, that's important. We all can agree on that. But Paul is saying, don't be ignorant about the spiritual gifts either. I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be ignorant. Right? Number two, spiritual gifts will always exalt Jesus. Right? Spiritual gifts are not for you to exalt you. They're given, and we'll see this here in a minute, they're given to us for others to elevate the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen? 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about when you're being moved by the Spirit. It's not talking about, you know, you, I can say that. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about how do you distinguish whether something is of the Lord or not. Okay, now the third ground rule is spiritual gifts are for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That means it's given for the benefit of all, right? If it's not, how do you know whether this is appropriate or not? Is it benefiting others or is it just benefiting yourself? Some people will get up and they'll just talk in tongues and whatever the case may be. It doesn't happen here very, very much, but it's about a show. It's not about the benefit of others. It's about them, and that's not an appropriate use of the gifts. The gifts of the Spirit are for the benefit of others, right? You can't, if you have a gift of healing, more often than not, I'd say uh, uh, most of the time, if not every time, you can't lay hands on yourself. Your gifting is for others. Well, how am I going to get healed? With others that are being used of God, they will pray for you. Well, that's not fair. Well, you know what that means? It just means that we need one another, right? So Paul was making the distinction here that gifts of the Spirit or the empowerments of the Spirit aren't gifts in the sense that the believer owns and operates the gift whenever he wants to. They are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are gifts of the Holy Ghost manifested through individual believers as the Spirit of God wills. The gifts of the Spirit aren't just given for the individual, but they are given in order to profit the whole local assembly or local body of believers. And these gifts that Paul describes, the way we're going to be looking at them, is differentiated really in three different categories. So I don't think they flow in order, but we're going to take these gifts and we're going to put them in a category that will make sense to you. Okay, so three of the gifts are entitled revelation gifts. What does that mean? They are gifts that reveal something. They're called the gifts of the word of wisdom, the gifts of the word of knowledge, 
and the gift of the discerning of spirits. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Next week, we're going to be talking about the power gifts. What are the power gifts? Those are, those are gifts that do something. So we're looking about the gift of faith, which almost always is in partnership with the working of miracles and the gifts of healings. So then the week after that, we're going to look at the vocal gifts. What are the vocal gifts? Those are gifts that say something. So you have gifts that reveal something, the revelation gifts, gifts that do something, the power gifts, and vocal gifts are gifts that say something. And in that category, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, tongues, uh, uh, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and Prophecy. When we talk about tongues, that's just the way they translate it. It could also be languages. But when we're talking about languages, we're not talking about languages that you know. We're talking about languages that God gives us that are not part of our uh, understanding or things that we've studied. They're gifts that God has given to us. Okay? So this week, we're going to real quickly begin with what we call the revelation gifts. What are revelation gifts? Once again, they are gifts that reveal something. So in this gifts of revelation, again, if we went to our text, one is given the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, and to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another the prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between gifts, to another various kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So again, what I want you to recognize, and the reason we read it again, is because this passage is in your Bible. It's not just in my Bible. It is in your Bible. Well, I go to Baptist church. It's still in your Bible. Well, I go to Catholic church. It's still in your Bible. It's in the Bible. So that's why we want to talk about it. We just happen to believe it's for today. Okay? So there are three gifts that are part of the revelation gifts. The first one we want to talk about is the word of wisdom. To understand the gift of the word of wisdom, it can help to first contrast wisdom with knowledge. There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Now, <laughs> I didn't think about this, but I'm thinking about it right now. Uh, sometimes, have you ever watched Jeopardy? Right? Jeopardy is a show where they purportedly have people there that know a lot of facts. And so they'll ask you a question, and because they have a, a, a lot of facts stored up in their head, they can tell you what, those, what the answer to the question is, you know. But somebody that knows a lot of facts can be stupid when it comes to life. I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying, and there are some people that may not know a lot of facts, but they're wise when it comes to how to live life. So knowledge does not always equate to wisdom, and wisdom does not always equate to knowledge, okay? So there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge gives us facts, and wisdom shows us what to do about those facts. In other words, um, um, I'll get into this in a minute. I'll just let me keep going. If you have all the wisdom in the world but have no facts, you cannot make much direct application without it. On the other hand, even if you know all the facts, unless you have wisdom, you're likely to do the wrong thing with them. The truth is beautifully summed up by King Solomon, who was known as the wisest man that ever lived because God granted him a gift of wisdom. He said in Proverbs 15 and 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. A wise person uses knowledge 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 
rightly. Many people have knowledge, but they don't use it correctly. The Bible calls Solomon, again, the wisest man who ever lives, and he summed up the nature of wisdom again in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 10 and 10. And this is my favorite understanding of wisdom, and I'll make the application of this here in a minute. He says, if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the axe, that he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. It's profitable to direct. That's Ecclesiastes 10 and 10. I think that came out of the uh, Amplified or something like that. But the bottom line is wisdom is like a sharpened axe. I may, uh, if I don't have any knowledge, I may try to cut down a tree without an axe. So it's good to have an axe, right? But if I have an axe, let's say I have knowledge and I don't sharpen that axe, man, I can hit on that tree all day long, but I just as might as well hit it with a baseball bat. But if I have the wisdom to sharpen the axe, then if I go after that tree with that axe, I can be very effective in accomplishing what I need to do. Now, how many of you know that that's what wisdom does? It gives us a sharp edge in life. Where is wisdom found? In God's Word. Where is wisdom found? Wisdom is, is a product of Almighty God. And God also gives, one of the empowerments that He gives is He gives words of wisdom. Wisdom is profitable or useful to direct and it brings success. Wisdom is therefore directive while knowledge is informative. The word of wisdom might be defined as a supernatural revelation of the mind and the purpose of God communicated by the Holy Spirit. It is God's wisdom imparted to man. It might be designated as the gift of the word of God's wisdom when the Lord specifically reveals his purpose to an individual that person possesses a word of God's wisdom. He doesn't possess all wisdom he possesses a word of wisdom. So in other words, God may give you by gift of the Spirit a word of wisdom to know what to do in a certain situation. He reveals his mind to you to, to know how to effectively go forward. And when he does that, that is a supernatural gifting of God by the Spirit called a word of wisdom, right? Now let me just say this to you because sometimes as, as a church in our society, we have grown up, all of us have at some point watched TV. Then one of the things we may not realize if you don't study the media that you're looking at, you may not realize that TV is to, depicted to be a reflection of life, but it's not really a true reflection of life. Because when you watch TV, what they will do is they will help you. Uh, remember the cartoons when a, one of the characters had an idea, they would put a light bulb over his head. Ding, 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 right? And so the, 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 the media that we watch, when we watch television, they will help you through the music, through cues that they provide for you to help you to understand, hey, this is important. This is a, a reality. You might want to pay attention to this. That's what they do. When the gifts of the Spirit work in your life, you almost never have those cues. The Lord does not go... Ding, 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 word of wisdom, ding, 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 word of knowledge. More than likely, it's just a thought that you have. 
Well, how do I know it's a God kind of thought? That's walking with God, learning how to walk with God. When we get into the word of knowledge, I'll tell you one of the things, how I learned to distinguish the word of knowledge, but I'm just saying is that you might just have a thought, and that thought may seem like it comes from you, but it just might be a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, and we have to learn how to pay attention to that which God is giving to us. To be open to what God gives to us. You're not going to get the bing, bing, bing. You're not going to get a teacher saying that was a word of knowledge. That was a word of wisdom. You're just going to be living life. And if you've got a, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally without reproach and it shall be given to him. And so you might be asking, saying, what do I do in this situation? All of a sudden you have an idea. You just go do it. You go on with life and never recognize that it's God that gave you that. And you may be thinking to yourself, man, I'm pretty smart. Man, I figured that out. My boss needs to reward me for figuring that out. Well, you know, your boss can reward you for for what you did and what you figured out. But it's important for us to recognize that it wasn't us. It was God working in us. And he wasn't doing it for you. He was doing it for the betterment of Well, the betterment of the church? Yeah, he wants the betterment of the church. To the betterment of my job? Yes, he wants you to be a blessing to your job. Well, I thought it was just me. Maybe not. Maybe the Lord is in that, helping you, and you don't even realize. So the word of wisdom is considered by many as the best gift because it is a revelation concerning the plans and the purposes in the mind of God. The difference between the two gifts, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, is that the revelation of the word of knowledge that the word of knowledge brings is always present tense or past tense. Stuff that has happened. A name. Uh, it's present tense or past tense, and wisdom most always leans toward the future because it's what I need to do. It's a word of wisdom about what I should do about the situation that I'm facing or what I'm about to go through. So word of knowledge is present and past. Word of wisdom is future, all right? And what I did this morning, I hadn't had this, but I, I went ahead and printed out an example of some of these. Like, what is an example from Scripture of a word of wisdom? Well, in Acts chapter 6, you don't have this up there, so don't be looking for it. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, the Bible says there was a complaint that arose in the church because the Greek-speaking widows weren't getting any distribution of the food they were providing for the widows. It was going to the Hebrew-speaking widows first, and the Greek-speaking widows were last, and they never had anything because they always ran out before they got there. And so they said, man, we got a problem. And they called the apostles and said, we got a problem. It's not, and and so what are we going to do about it? Well, I believe that God gave them a word of wisdom. Because the disciples, uh, the apostles got together, they summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Sometimes the answer is not for you to jump in and do something about it. What's the wise thing for me to do? That's where we got to hear from God. In the Old Testament, I'm just thinking about this right now. In the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, it says, rebuke a wise, uh, foolish man, or he's going to think that he knows something. And the very next verse says, don't try to get into an argument with a foolish man because you're going to end up looking foolish. 
Well, if I live in my own strength, I got a 50-50 chance of getting it right. But I also got a 100% chance of getting it wrong, because almost every single time, I guess wrong. Just my tendency. So how am I going to figure out what's the right thing to do? Ah, if the Lord leads me and he gives me a word of wisdom, I'll know in this situation I need to do something about it. In this situation, I need to leave it alone. And some of you I've talked to at times, we've had situations that come up in church, and I'll come up and I'll be in prayer the next morning. It's not a bing, bing, bing. All of a sudden, I'll just have a thought, and I felt like the Lord was in it. And, and, uh, and I, I, like one I just did a couple weeks ago with Bobby, I said, Bobby, I think we're supposed to leave this one alone. And he said, yep, I agree with you. But there are other times when I feel like the Lord says, we got to tackle this. And we'll go after and we'll tackle it. How do you know which one to do? Well, first of all, you got to be willing to wait on God and let God speak to you. Because you can do things on your own. And when you do things on your own, you're going to have to fix them on your own. But if you wait on God, things just seem to go a little bit better. Amen? So pray about it. So anyway, that was an example of the word of wisdom. And in another situation, another example I had, Paul was on a ship, and he had felt from the Lord that they shouldn't go on this journey. Uh, he was a prisoner, and they, he said, the weather's not going to be good. We're going to get in a lot of trouble. They didn't listen to him. They went on the journey anyway. And then a little bit later on, an angel of God appears to him. We'll talk about it here in a minute, because there's earning of spirits, and we'll get into that in a minute. But anyway, he says, everything's going to work out okay. An angel stood by my side. Everything's going to be good. Okay, so everybody's like, they're, they're happy about it. They're getting close to the island, and all of a sudden, it looks like they're about to run aground and so the sailors are saying to themselves we need to get off this boat Paul has a word of wisdom and he says to the centurion and the soldiers unless these men stay in the ship we cannot be saved so the soldiers heeded the word of wisdom that he gave him they applied it to their situation they cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and they let it go but what I'm trying to get you to realize is that it doesn't say here in Scripture it was a word of wisdom, but it was a word of wisdom given to Paul that allowed God's will and purpose, which he purposed for them to do, to be saved, to land on an island, no loss of life. It allowed that to come to pass because of the Holy Spirit's empowerment, because of the Holy Spirit's gifting in that situation. All right? So the second category we want to look at is the word of knowledge. Well, I feel like the Lord wants me to do something here, okay? So first of all, we're, I guess we're going to pray for activation after every gift. I was going to wait till the end, but I feel like the Lord wants me to pray for activation after every gift. So Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, uh, that one of the gifts of the Spirit of God's Holy Spirit, you've given us this, this privilege of the empowerment of the Word of Wisdom. We need the Word of Wisdom. Father God, I believe uh, that through Christ, the Holy Spirit is, is giving this and making this available to us. And in your name, uh, 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 as an instrument of God, I just say in Jesus' name that this gifting of the word of wisdom, I'm asking and I'm declaring by faith that it is activated now in the lives of your people. That this gift will begin to flow in a greater, greater way within our body, within our people. And Father God, because of it, people will know that our God does great and mighty things through his people as you provide real, tangible solutions to the problems that we face. I thank you, Lord. I receive it. We receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Okay, second gifting we want to look at is the word of knowledge. I want you to notice that this gift is called the word of knowledge. It's not called the gift of knowledge. 
There's no such thing as a spiritual gift of knowledge. There is, however, a spiritual gift called the Word of Knowledge. The Word of Knowledge is the supernatural revelation by the Holy Ghost of certain facts in the mind of God. In other words, it's not stuff you've studied. It's not stuff that you've hidden in there. It's a revelation of facts God gives you supernaturally. God is all-knowing. That's why he's called omniscient. He knows all. He knows everything. But he doesn't reveal everything he knows to his people. He gives them a word or a part of what he knows. A word is a fragmentary part of a sentence, so a word of knowledge could simply be a fragmentary part of the entire knowledge or counsel of God. God is all-knowing. He has all knowledge, but he doesn't give all knowledge to us. To restate, we might say that the word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation of the existence or nature of a person or a thing or the knowledge of some event given to us by the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. So, let me give you an example. In my own particular life, I wanted to be used more and more. I, I, I felt like the Lord was leading me. We are a Pentecostal church, but just because we're a Pentecostal church doesn't mean we're all Pentecostal. The Bible says, pursue eagerly, earnestly spiritual gifts. Another translation says, zealously lust after the spiritual gifts. Yeah. Right? Well, that's a bad word. Not when it comes after the things of God, because the Holy Spirit himself told us to do that right? People will say, well, I'm open to the gifts of the Spirit. Well, you can be open to the gifts of the Spirit all you want, but open does not mean faith. Faith means I walk after, I pursue, I seek after that which God has made available to me. So you've got to pursue the spiritual gifts if you want to see the spiritual gifts working in your life. So I felt like the Lord was drawing me into that. I have been studying. I had been reading. I wanted to be used in the gift of the word of knowledge. Doug knows this this because uh, I use it all the time. That he knows how this happened. I said, God, use me in a word of knowledge. And I got some training. I got some uh, uh, from things that people have learned before. One of the things that I read, uh, the person was talking to me, he said, uh, uh, through a tape I was listening to, he said, how do you know if it's a gift of a word of knowledge? He said, well, one of the things you can ask yourself is, have I ever had this thought before? And is this a normal thought that I have in my life? And I said, well, God, I want to be used in the gift of the word of knowledge. So I go to church, I'm pastoring here, and while I'm sitting there, I had prayed that prayer either that week or that morning. I come into, to, and so now my mind is open. I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm like, I want to be used of that, and I'm just going along, services going along, and all of a sudden, in my mind's thought, my thought that ran through my head, it wasn't like God going, bing, bing, bing. It was just a thought that I had. I heard the word colon, and I'm thinking to myself, well, where did that thought come from? Where did the word colon come from? But I had been training, I've been reading. I thought, well, I wonder if that is from God. And how would I know that? Well, how often have I been in service and thought of the word colon? Never. <laughs> Never in my mind's eye. But then I thought to myself, no, I ain't going to say that. I ain't no worry. I said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look foolish. But, at, you know, at some point you got to get to a place where you're just not worried about whether you look foolish or not. Right? And I said, well, you you got to be willing to take a risk. And I said, well, God, I, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe you meant cologne. 
Maybe that's, I heard him wrong. Maybe he meant cologne. It's that somebody who's got an allergy to cologne. That's what it is, you know? Or maybe somebody that's been to Cologne, Germany, because that is a city, and I, you know, but that's not what I heard. I heard Colin. I said, well, so I got up, and one of the things that you, this is my, this is me, okay? If you do differently, that's fine, but this is what I think. You do not have to have a thus saith the Lord to make it effective. You do not. And in fact, when you use the word, thus saith the Lord, it's very difficult for someone to challenge the message that you give because the Bible says that you don't judge the, the person, you judge the message. But if someone says, thus saith the Lord, it's very hard to come and say, well, I don't think that was God, even though it may not have been. And you put yourself in a parasol situation if you say, thus saith the Lord, because if you say, thus saith the Lord, and <laughs> it like reminds me of that lady that got up, thus saith the Lord, the Lord is writing Michelob over this church. Well, she meant uh, uh, Ichabob. <laughs> she got herself in a lot of trouble, didn't she? So you do not have to say that. Now, if you do say that, that's no problem. That's, that's the way we learn. We grew up that way. I'm not, I, we don't make this a big deal, but to the new ones that are growing up, I, you'll find that I rarely say that, if ever say that. I did one time because I felt like the Lord said, you need to say this, your kids are coming home. He said, say, thus saith the Lord, and I did. Right? But more often than not, I don't, but it doesn't make it any less effective. It's either God or it's not. Am I preaching any differently, right? So uh, am I saying anything wrong that you know of? Let me know afterwards. So, uh, the, so I got up and I said, I, 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 I'm not sure. Now, you can have, I, I'm a little more confident now than I was back then, but I said, I'm not sure. I said, I could be wrong. I probably am wrong. But I heard the word colon. Does that mean anything to anybody? And I'm like, Man, I'm going to have egg on my face. I don't know, but I'm willing to take a risk. I said, does it mean anything to anybody? And what happened, Doug? Woo! <laughs> That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. He said, it was just me. He got up and he said, that's me. That's a word of knowledge for me. And the Lord healed him on that day. Amen. Amen. Now, did the word of knowledge heal him? No. What the word of knowledge did is it built faith. When you know, I like to liken it this way. When, uh, when Jesus was passing by the blind uh, sitting on the side of the road, and they heard Jesus was passing by, they said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He kept on walking. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He kept on walking. And all of a sudden, he turns around. When he turns around, they went to blind Bartimaeus, and they say, he's calling you. Now, what happened at that particular time is blind Bartimaeus stood up, even though he's blind. He had a robe that, dif that distinguished him as being blind. It allowed him to legally be able to beg for alms. When he heard that Jesus was calling him to be in front of him, he threw off his robe before he ever got healed, because he knew Jesus was calling him, and he said, I'm not going to need that anymore. He hadn't received a healing yet, but he, what he had received is a call. So what a word of knowledge is, is some, in some way Jesus turning around saying, I see you, and I want to talk to you today. 
And you, at that particular point, you can say, oh, it's my turn. I'm throwing off my disease. I'm throwing off my stuff because Jesus is calling me. That's what a word of knowledge does. It builds and imparts faith. So sometimes when I get up here and I feel like it's a word of knowledge or Bobby may have a word of knowledge or somebody may have a word of knowledge and you get up and you say, well, that, that sounds like me, right? Well, it's the Lord saying, it's your day. It's your time. This is for you. And you can rise up in faith and say, Hallelujah, I am not going to receive this anymore. I'm not going to keep this anymore. This wheelchair is gone. This brace is gone. This illness is gone because Jesus just singled me out. So if you have a word of knowledge that somebody here has a migraine, and you say, well, I have a migraine. I feel like the Lord is telling me that somebody has a migraine. You can say to yourself, wow, Jesus is wanting to heal migraines today. I believe that God wants to heal me because there is no differentiation. There is no partiality. There is no favoritism with God. What a word of knowledge does is it builds faith. And you can say, I just received that for myself. Am I making sense to you? All right. Other examples of the word of knowledge in the Bible, uh, Samuel, uh, uh, Saul had been commissioned by his uncle to go look for a donkey or his father to go look for some donkeys that were lost. Whenever uh, uh, they couldn't find them, they decided to go see a seer by the name of Samuel. When they got to Samuel, uh, he said, have you seen, they, they didn't know it was him, he said, have you seen the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. And then Saul hadn't said anything to him. He said, go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that was on your mind. As for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not set your mind on them. They have been found. Who told him that? Where did that knowledge come from? The Lord gave him that knowledge. All right, that's an example of a word of knowledge. How about John 14, 16 through 18? Jesus said to the woman he was talking to at the well, he said, go call your, husbands and, your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. How do you know that? Well, he's God. Well, he was functioning as a man, empowered by the Spirit of God, and so what he had was a word of knowledge. Amen. Okay, last one, discerning of spirits. Will you give me just a few more minutes, probably five more minutes, and I'll be done. The discerning of spirits gives supernatural insight into the spirit will. Uh, wait, wait, I'm supposed to pray, right? That's right. Okay, so, Lord, we thank you for the gift of the word of knowledge. And I, I, let me just say before I, I do this, I've, I've prayed this before, and I believe people have said to me that they have begun functioning more and more in the word of knowledge or it's gotten stronger. So if you have the gift of a word of knowledge, I believe God's going to strengthen that and maybe make it more uh, abounding in your life. If you have it, I'm going to pray that God will activate it in your life. So Lord, I thank you for the gift of the word of knowledge. I thank you, God, that you've given this to us as a body for the common good. I pray today that this gifting would be activated in the lives of your people and for those that are flowing in it, is even myself, that it would become uh, uh, greater in, uh, in uh, abundance, greater in, in accuracy, Lord, and that, Father God, uh, you would use that to help us to win souls for you and to increase your kingdom. Let it be so now in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so the last one is distinguishing of spirits. 
And in distinguishing of spirits, it can also be called the discerning of spirits. What this does is it gives supernatural insight into the spirit world. To discern means to perceive by seeing or hearing. Therefore, discerning of spirits is the same as seeing or hearing into the realm of spirits. There is a spirit, spirit realm, right? Some people will say one day, well, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. Well, you know, there was a guy in the Old Testament that walked out and he saw an army all around the city coming to get his master. It was just him. And he said, basically, we're in trouble. Why? Because I see an army and I see two of us. And Elijah said, open his eyes, Elisha. And, and his eyes were open, and all of a sudden he saw into the spirit realm, and he saw that the hills were covered with the chariots of God and the angels of God. There is a spiritual realm. There are angels in this place. You may not see them, but they're there, right? And there's also a demonic realm, and we have to be aware of that as well. But we don't want to get our eyes on demons. We want to get our eyes on God right? So we might say that the discerning of spirits is a gift of the Holy Spirit by which the possessor or the one that is being used by it is enabled to see into the spirit world. By this insight, he can discern the similitude of God or the likeness of God or the risen Christ or the Holy Spirit or cherubim or seraphim, archangels or the host of angels or Satan and his legions. The discerning of spirits is actually has a far more limited range of operation than the other two revelation gifts. Why? Because the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, uh, it, uh, it's about, uh, uh, it can access much broader, uh, it can access and apply to people, places, and things, whereas the discerning of spirits gives a supernatural insight only into the realm of spirits. Remember, the discerning of spirits is seeing or hearing into the spirit world. It also reveals the kind of spirit that is in operation behind a supernatural manifestation. And let's make this clear. The gift of discerning of spirits is not just the discerning of devils. It is not simply the discerning of just evil spirits. To, the, to say that the discerning of spirits has only to do with devils is misleading. This gift has to do with the entire class of spirits, including good spirits, bad spirits, and human spirits. It is, it, it is a... When all you discern is devils, and if that's all that you can pick up with your gift, there's something askew. Not with your gifting, there's something askew in you. Right? Your gifting is functioning fine, but it's your, um, it's your, um, your lens. How you see things needs to be adjusted so you can see more than just devils. Because God wants you to be able to perceive, with that gift, you can perceive uh, 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 the hearts of men the human spirit. You can perceive uh, whether something is of God, whether something is just simply of the flesh or something is of the enemy. You can perceive all three, but we should be picking up, if you have the gift of discerning of spirits, we should be picking up more of God because there are two times more of God's spirits than there are the enemy spirits than of the devil. And I'm just talking mathematically, okay? So, it's supernatural insight into the realm of spirits. The discerning of evil spirits is included, but too many times folks have the thought that seeing demons and devils is all this gift encompasses, and they have been misled. So, let me give you a couple examples that I pulled out. Jesus uh, uh, had actually a word of knowledge 
when he saw Nathaniel, he said, an Israelite, uh, uh, he, he said, your name is Nathaniel. But then he says about him in John 1, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile or there is no deceit. How did he know that? Well, it just came to him. Yes, it came to him by a gift of the Holy Spirit because he was empowered and anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helped him to discern what kind of person Nathaniel was. How about Luke 13 and 11? Behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So some people can be bent over and it just be a, a medical thing or an injury thing. But Jesus had a discerning of spirits working in his life and he perceived that it was a devil that was keeping her bound. Right? Acts 27, 23 through 24, remember I told you about Paul, this was uh, earlier, he said, for this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. How was he able to perceive the angel of God, and nobody around him was able to perceive the angel of God? I believe it was a gift of deserting of spirits, all right? So let's pray over this one. Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you've given us. I thank you that today we've also learned about the discerning of spirits. I believe today you would like to uh, equip us and impart and activate this gifting in the body. And so in the name of Jesus, I just pray that this gifting would be activated in the lives of your believers now, that people would begin to flow in this, not just uh, a skewed Father, but flow in it uh, uh, fully and, uh, and uh, as you designed it for it to function. And Father, it would be a great benefit to your body and to this city and to the places where we live, to the family families that we belong to in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. All right. So in conclusion, what we see in the Bible is that the normal Christian experience was to be baptized with the Spirit and to continually be filled with the Spirit that we might be empowered by the Spirit of God. If you're a believer, this empowerment and this empowering is for you. Uh, today, we would like you to receive, if you have not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I should state that, that these gifts flow much more fully. I will not say that you can't flow in a gifting of the Spirit without being baptized of the Spirit, but I will say that if you've been baptized in the Spirit, it opens the dam for you to flow in this gifting, okay? So, I would invite you to First of all, you have to know the Lord because it's the gifting of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. You have to have a relationship with God. If you don't know God, what a great day to get right with God. If you don't, uh, if you like to move in these giftings and you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we looked at that last week. Very, uh, it's a promise from God. It's not hard. We pray for you to receive. If you by faith understand what God's wanting to do in your life and receive, you can receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, then what we've prayed today is that you would be activated in these giftings in your life, and we can pray with you a little bit more about that as well. One of the